You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I dropped an amazing episode with Dom Grimal of The Last Felony, Ion Dissonance, and Cryptopsy. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Alrighty, welcome back to the Stateside Podcast. Today we have a very special guest. Do they say that every week? I do. But this time, I really do mean it. He's become a dear friend of mine, a colleague, a peer, and even a mentor, I would say. Uh, please welcome to the show Randy Salcedo. He's a booking agent with Sound Town Group, a juggernaut, and like I said, a friend. Welcome to the show! Thank you, sir. Much appreciated. That's a round of applause for you, Randy. <laughs> All right. That's what that is. Yeah. Um, before we begin into the deep dive of who you are and why you do what you do, I would love to start with the obvious thing about Randy. If there's one thing that everyone says about you, it is one word. Kiss. Where did that come from? Why the obsession? Can you explain it to me as though... I'm just a, a, a neutral observer trying to understand why KISS is a thing. Take it away. When I was four years old, Ooh. growing up in Fort Worth, Texas, I happened to be looking through my parents' vinyl collection. And all of a sudden, I see three album covers. I see Destroyer, Rock and Roll Over, Love Gun. And for anyone that knows KISS and knows their album covers, those are... When you're four years old and you see those album covers, what the hell is that? Looks so cool. Yeah. Looks so scary. Gene Simmons on Destroyer just looks evil. He really does. I was mesmerized by the covers. And Destroyer happened to be the first one that was there. And I took out that vinyl and I put it on the record player. And the intro to Detroit Rock City started. And as soon as the guitar riff starts and it was so it's, it's just really hard to describe. It's that instant connection you have with something. The first time you hear music. Yeah. It was just the image and the music combined. It just clicked with me. I mean, when you're that young too, everything, you just soak everything in. So it just started then, but also this was, you know, I was four years old, so this is early 80s. And it was so hard at that point. Like, I, my whole world just became, I wanted to know everything there was about Kiss. My parents were very young, so they were very much into whatever was current music at the time. We had MTV in the house. You know, we would watch Solid Gold every week. We would watch Putting on the Hits. Like, we would watch these shows. <laughs> and so music was just always a very big thing in my house. And it was awesome because my parents, and because of that, my parents understood my obsession with, I really like this band. And, you know, anytime we were out, I would go straight to the magazine section, look up Metal Edge, Rip Magazine, Circus Magazine, whatever it could be, just because that was pre-internet day and age, you know, it was, how do I find out everything about the b bands that you like? And that was how I learned about kids. Yeah. Anything I could read, anything I could see. If they were on TV, I would watch. When I was at the record stores, I would go immediately to the Kiss section and look up right. each record. You know, and in this day and age, they, they were still selling vinyl. So it was like I could easily just look at the records. I could look at the back, look at the years. When did these come out? And I would, in my head, trying to figure out what was the chronological order of all, when was were all these albums released? Like, it became just such an obsession for me. And, and yeah, it's just, this was just the first band that I ever really remember choosing to listen to on my own. The first band that I ever just really connected with. And it just stuck with me throughout yeah. my life. It's 
just one of those things. It's hard to explain. It's, and I think anyone that it's happened similarly to, it's just, that's what it has become. Yeah. That, well, that's a pretty common story with kiss and especially, uh, people of your age group. I think people that grew up in the mid to late seventies, early eighties, somewhere around that age, that it's, it's obvious. Someone like me would have been fucking uh, probably a magnet to kiss. And I, I totally understand it. Cause for me, like I am a distant kiss fan. I get it. I I know why they're so fucking bad, especially back in the day. That shit must've been the most wild, scary, fucking edgy, fun shit to ever see as a young person. I can only imagine. Um, my question for you though, you described how you, you know, you, you saw the album covers and then you, you went from there to do your own self-discovery, digging through record stores, reading print magazines, pre-internet. Do you think that there's something lost of that time that, that you wish we still had now? 1,000%. 1,000. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know you, so I, I know. <laughs> 1,000%. I think that just, I mean, everyone that I'm friends with that, you know, is in my age bracket. We all discuss that. We all discuss the passion, the the immense search and what it meant when you had a band that you liked and knowing how much time it took you to find out all the information about these bands. They they felt close to you. It meant something. They felt like correct. It meant more. Yeah. I think about that all the time and how different generations consume music, how they discover music doesn't mean the same for younger generations because it's literally at the tip of their fingers all the time. I'm very happy that I grew up when I did. I think that having that connection point with all of these artists, because it was something that I believed in and I was able to research and find out these things about these artists. All those artists that I grew up with mean so much to me. And not saying that these artists don't mean a lot to younger generations. It's just, it's different. It's just different. Sure, sure. It's just different. Yeah. And look, I, I think the, the internet is great for some things. It's great for a lot of things. I mean, shit, my my job, my my company that I started would have been a lot tougher to do without the internet. Next to impossible. Yes, I could have been a manager. I could have uh, started a management company, but it would have taken a lot of resources and I would have physically had to move to Los Angeles a long time ago. I would have had to be a fucking intern with some asshole for years. Like, it's just a different planet. So the internet is great for some things, but, you know, there's there aren't a lot of record stores anymore. There aren't a lot of print magazines anymore. There aren't a lot of physical, physical tangible things. I have records sitting over here to the left of me off camera and like those still mean a lot to me you know and I, I can I can only imagine because I was probably the last generation to absorb music prior to the internet and I did it through CDs you know looking through Nirvana CDs and Alice in Chains and Soundgarden uh, the first Foo Fighters record and looking at the liner notes and falling in love with the band in a physical medium and I can only imagine what it must have been like for my parents to fall in love with the Beatles and the Beach Boys, Led Zeppelin, The Who. You didn't even see these guys. That's why they were, they were actual rock gods to people, because you didn't see them. They weren't on the internet all fucking day. They didn't have a YouTube vlog. They didn't have a TikTok account. When you saw Robert Plant and Jimmy Page, you probably saw them for the first time on stage at the forum. And it, it must have been just just completely earth-shattering, mind-altering um, experience. And, and so anyway, I think bands like Kiss really, uh, they also, I think they, they're one of the bands that a lot of people from that era fell in love with, first of all. But they, they also created a model for how to be a business. Kiss Incorporated. The merch line alone is a whole fucking business. Um, you, you seem to have a lot of it. And uh, I mean, in, in in the one shot, I can see you right now on camera. I, I see a Kiss picture. I see Kiss memorabilia. I mean, it's everywhere. 
And, uh, you know, not a lot of bands did that prior to kiss. Yeah, no. And I'm because kiss means that much to me and I'm a kiss freak. Basically I have invested yep. a lot of my money into kiss items. <laughs> I have. Well, hell yeah. Life is short. I'm a, I'm a Disney parks nerd as you well know. I mean, all, all the posters behind me are all different lands from the, from Disneyland. So, you know, we're all dorks in our own way. Um, okay, well, that, with that out of the way, I, I mentioned up top that you are a booking agent with Sound Talent Group. I've been on a, a, a tear going and talking to and having agents on the show. That's not something that I did prior to the partnership with Dave, Matt, and Tim. Um, but since since we're all family and we're all under the same umbrella, I thought it made sense to start talking to you guys. So, so far I've had Dave Shapiro, Tim Bohr, Matt Anderson. Uh, we just had Bex on last week, maybe two weeks ago, and now we're having you on. Um, so c- can you kind of go through the origin story of how you got into music? I mean, we know that you started young with Kiss, et cetera. Um, but what led you to being a booking agent? Why, why aren't you a manager? Why aren't you working for a label? What, what pointed you to being an agent? Music was the only thing I was passionate about. Having grown up with young mm-hmm. parents, you know, my mom had me when she was 18 years old. My dad was 20. They were very much yeah. into music. So music was just always in the house, be it MTV, radio, cassette tapes in the car. You know, it was always around. So music was just the only thing I gravitated to. It was really weird. I mean, when I was a kid, yeah, I did play with toys and stuff. But as it, it was music was I was so, so passionate about it. I started to realize when I was in junior high and high school that, wow, I think I want to be in the music business because it's the only thing that I really, really like, even though I had no concept, no idea of what it would take to get into the business. I would watch, you right. know, MTV Video Music Awards, would watch the Grammy Awards, would watch the American Music Awards. And it's like, who are all these people that when these artists yeah. win, who are they thanking? Who are the people in the audience? Right. Like, how do I become one of those right. people? So when I started looking at colleges when I was in high school, you know, I did well in, in school and I wanted to go to college. My parents were very much stressing the importance of education to me. And I started looking at colleges and majors. And honestly, I didn't know that music in industry programs this is the mid 90s when i'm starting to look for colleges like 93 94 i graduated high school in 95 this is like Mm -hmm. is there even something that i can major in that will get me in the right direction of the music industry i had no idea and through research and just things it kind of started to seem like oh maybe it's communications because it kind of people that major in communications seem to do radio um i applied to one college in DC, the American University in DC, where I was going to be a journalism major. Every other college, I was a communications major, with the exception of there was one school that I got a brochure from that actually said they had a music industry program. And that was Northeastern University in Boston. Oh, That was the only school that I got a brochure from that actually showed they had a program like that. I started looking at what are the kind, what kinds of classes would I be taking in that program? It was stuff like recording studio. It was artist management, copyright law, Mm. computer applications in the music business. And I was like, I think this is what I want to do. This sounds very much like it would steer me in the right path. Northeastern University I ended up going to was very much they promote co-op, which is while you're going to school, you take time off. It's a five-year program. You take in your industry so that by the time you graduate, you have work experience. Being from Los Angeles, right. I was fortunate enough that when I had breaks from school, I could come home and do internships. You're in LA. Yeah. 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 So I ended up, my very first internship was a place called Image Consultants, which was basically, we basically were a, a marketing team that was hired by labels. And I was basically a street rep where I would go around to local record stores in Los Angeles, track how much was sold, 
put, ask if they had room for a display and I would put displays up. That's honestly how I got to know the city. And this was back in the day before Waze or anything. I was using Thomas guides to take right. me around the city and just driving around. Wow. My second wow. year of That's college. Cool. My second year of college, I came home and I had two internships. One was at the Greek theater marketing promotions division. I did that three days a week. And the other two days a week, I did Mercury Records publicity division where um, I realized very quickly that I really liked the live aspect of the business. I would go into Mercury Records and publicity. The coolest thing about that internship was that was the label for KISS and other bands that I liked, but KISS mainly. And that was this, the year that they remastered all of their albums. So I was able to get the entire remastered KISS catalog on CD for free, which was awesome. Totally worth it for that reason. Totally but badass. also, I realized yep. while I was working there, I had no interest in doing publicity. I didn't want to be speaking to journalists. So I'm like, okay, live music, I think, is the avenue I want to go. Because I had the experience at the Greek theater, when I graduated college, I stayed in touch with them. My boss, when I was an intern, was leaving, and she had recommended me to take her position to replace her. So in February of 99, I ended up graduating college early. I graduated in 98. In February of 99, I became marketing coordinator at the Greek Theater, which at the time, Nederlander had the exclusive on and operated. And so our office was at the Greek Theater. And it was awesome. It was wow, really cool. And this is what 21 this years is old. What what era is this now? This is like mid to late. This is 1999. I was hired to start at the Greek theater full time. Wow. What a time. What a time to be working at the Greek theater. And it was, it was the perfect job for me at that age. It was super eye opening just to work at a venue, but also work at a promoter's office because Niederlander does promote and did promote outside of those buildings. But it was awesome to be specifically at a venue I mean, I remember the first show that I asked, oh, can I get tickets for this show? Because I want to see it. It was about a month after I was there and In Excess was playing at the Greek. Mm. It was there, ended up being their final tour with Michael Hutchins. It was the Elegantly Wasted right. tour. But I just remember like the first time experiencing watching the sound check of a band that I really liked. Because because I was at the venue, if it was a band I wanted to see, I could watch the sound check, right? Right. Going into the hospitality section at one time, you know, or after the show, seeing that the band was actually there and there's all these industry people there. I was like, wow, this is really cool. So I was really enjoying this. This was I was 21 years old. Year was 1999. In 2000, I got a little bit of a promotion marketing manager. You know, my markets were really mm -hmm. Bakersfield, Fresno, where I would help. You know, I was the main marketing contact for our shows that we were booking there. And but I would be sitting in these booking meetings and we, well, we had weekly marketing meetings, but the booking, the bookers for Nederlander were there, the talent buyers. And it just always seemed to me that anytime an agent called, like they would always leave the office. They would always take the call. And I just felt like it, these, who are these agents? And I knew what an agent did, but who are these agents that are important enough that the talent buyers who were people that I looked up to at that time would get them out of the meeting to go take the call mm -hmm. and just who are they? And exactly, you know, I knew what they did again, but like just explore that Avenue more. And I realized, right. You know what? I think this is more of what I want to do. I actually want to play a role in an artist's career in terms of booking an artist, routing a tour, doing their deals, having that relationship with the artist, with the managers. It just seemed like something I really wanted to do. And I just started really researching every single agency in town. And it turned out that CAA repped KISS and repped Depeche Mode, mm. who's my other favorite band. And that was where I wanted to be. So I had all of my efforts devoted to Boom. That was where I wanted to go. That's amazing. Now, what's the, um, you know, because a talent, wh why a booking agent over a talent buyer? Is that because a talent buyer, you're, you're more or less, you don't get a direct uh, influence on the artist development side, right? Is that maybe the main difference for you? 
for for why you wanted to be a booking agent? Honestly, I didn't see an avenue at the time at Nederlander for me to become a talent buyer. And the idea of working at a company that represented multiple artists and being involved with multiple artist careers at one time and having so many different manager relationships, that was intriguing about it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. So you, you, then you started with CA and how long were you there? 17 years. It's a long time. Wow. It's a lifetime. That's incredible. (laughs) I was 23 when I started there and I started there in April of 2001. Yeah. And I mean, you were, you were involved with a lot of bigger acts, especially of that time. That's incredible. Okay. So, so for, for our listeners, we kind of, you know, you and I spoke about this off air before the show. Our, our listener base, the audience base, tends to be pretty heavy in the music production side of things, obviously. That's that's what stateside, uh, that's what the corner of the industry we're most involved in. But with that said, we, we definitely have people that listen just because they want to learn about entrepreneurship. They want to learn about what it's like to be um, involved in not just the music business, but just business in general. A- as a booking agent specifically... You, you would know better than anyone. If there's a young band out there listening, when is the best time for a band to find an agent? I always tell young bands this, right? Because I think a lot of young bands feel that, you know, they want an agent because they want all these opportunities. They want these shows. And the truth is agents are one piece of the puzzle in the complete picture of an artist, right? I think first it's important to actually have your art perfected you know if you're a solo artist if you're a band how many shows have you done together how have you just gone out and gigged just locally have you what have you done that makes you feel you're ready for all of these new music industry people to be involved in your career right what have you done up to that point because every person in that puzzle of an artist's career right that fits that mold everyone has to feel that that artist is ready and what does it take for that artist to be ready it's really about what is that show do they have the showmanship are the songs there are they great songwriters what distinguishes you from every other artist and so i really feel you've got to perfect your craft or at least be on that right direction and someone sees that promise and sees that, wow, this person, this band is so amazingly talented, just need to get them in with the right people. And this is going to happen. Right. So I really feel it, it, it. There's a lot of foundation work that needs to happen. And I think that, you know, every single time I'm approached by an artist that an artist that wants an agent, okay, well, what, you know, what got you to this point? Who else is on your team? Yeah, are you ready? And yeah. let's see if this is a team and if everybody has this, you know, does everybody have the same end goal? Does everybody have the same work ethic? Does everybody have the same idea of how we're going to get there, right? It's about, it's about a synergy. Every relationship, right? Personal relationships are about symmetry synergy so i see it no different that as an agent i join that artist family and it's about the synergy i have with their team it's a good answer i i I like bex's answer too she said basically you you should get an agent when you just can't do it yourself anymore that's i think that's a good answer for everything for when you should get a manager that's that's the same for producers by the way not all producers need managers they're, they may not be at that place or they just, they like doing everything on their own. There's no wrong or wrong answers here. And I think it's not, it's just not a perfect answer. That's why I like asking everyone similar questions because everyone gives a different version of that answer. I, I think the thing that I've distilled, because I try to distill this for the listeners because everyone, again, different walks of life listening. That's why I mentioned it before asking that there's, there's such a wide range of people that listen to the show, but by and large, people are wanting to know the same thing. 
when is a good time for my band to get a manager? When is a good time for us to get an agent? They might be really too ahead of that. You know, I, I think something I've learned being partnered with a booking agency is that because I, I kind of see inside baseball now to the agency and I see you guys, the agents, discuss A&R conversations about bands that reach out to you, you know, and you guys start passing around notes like, hey, what do you think about this band? Uh, do you think we're ready? Do you think I should take them on? Whatever. And, you know, something I'm really... I, I don't know if I fully understood this prior to this partnership, but booking, booking agents have such a such a role in a band's development. I, I think I was under the impression that it was mostly a manager's job. I, a manager is really like the counselor, the top kind of... Um, you know, uh, the right hand man, but a, an agent really can make or break a band in a major way. It's pretty interesting. It's, it's a, it's a very interesting role in the industry. Absolutely. How, how do you think be, how do you think being a booking agent has changed over time? Say, say, uh, early days of touring, like the Beatles and Led Zeppelin and, and, you know, 60s, 70s era to now. I think back then, I think it, you know, just from what I read and heard from people's stories, it was more of a wild, wild west situation. There hadn't been, you know, obviously the business had yet to be established. They were establishing it as they went. So I just imagine there not being very many rules, them creating what the rules are, the protocols of how this business works. Right. I'm sure it was a lot of fun, but I can't imagine, you know, just how many issues that were brought up. I think, and I, I get the impression that a lot of people were doing a lot of jobs too. Like the manager of Led Zeppelin was also booking their tours. He was also the TM. He was also their tour manager. You know, I think, I think uh, back then you're right. You carved out what the industry is that we know today. I mean, look, the fact that I book a lot of international territories, and that's primarily what I started doing as an agent was booking international territories you know for years it was always russia india china were always the markets that everybody talked about as being the ones that are going to open up the ones that are ready for all of this western talent that we have right and it's true right i do think that you know i have booked plenty of shows in Russia. I've booked tours in China. I have booked tours in India. And it's true. What I think has changed is that there are legitimate buyers everywhere, right? Buyers that you can trust, buyers that know how to put on shows. Not to say that it's any easier to do shows because obviously in some territories it's still challenging, but at least there are there there are people that you can trust to at least communicate on what any issues are. And I think that that has been very eye-opening. And in, you know, since I've started as a, since I've started at an agency in 2001, seeing how that has developed over the years, that has definitely changed. The fact that South America, you can book so many shows in so many different countries versus what it used to be. When you started in 2001, Randy, the internet, it was definitely a thing, but it was not the same version of the thing we know today. Not even close. What what has been the difference? Well, actually, let me back up. Can you even imagine doing your fucking job without the internet? No. Imagine doing that. How would you even... All phone calls? When I started as an agent assistant in the music department, because even when I started at CAA, I wasn't in the music department specifically. I took a job as an assistant to a television agent because I wanted to be in the company. I viewed that as my in. When I started after about 10 and a half months of doing that, I got transferred to a music desk. I spent every day, as soon as I walked in every morning, they, there were a line of faxes that my boss had placed on the desk that that would be the first thing I would do would be to send faxes, right? Crazy, crazy. It, it, it's just it's just crazy how technology and just the business has evolved in general and it and it it will keep evolving absolutely yeah it's it's fascinating well let, let's shift a little bit back to some fun stuff i know that you're an 80s guy you're a fan of 80s music and, and culture 
And I'd even say that you're a fan of 90s stuff too, because we've talked about that. First of all, what's the better decade for music and culture? Go ahead. 80s, hands down. No debate. Okay, no debate. What makes that decade the best? I think, I mean, look, every generation feels that whenever they grew up was the best. I just think for me, that was just, I just had such an incredible childhood and just such amazing memories that for me, I just always resonate towards that decade. I think musically, it's hard to say that throughout our lifetime, has there been one decade where every single genre of music was amazing, right? That's the thing. People miss the 80s with music. All they think of is really corny, wham, the bad 80s. And by the way, I even like wham. But I think you're missing the point. Like 80s had such a deep, deep trench of of different genres and pushing the envelope on genres. The first time you had uh, guys playing synth that also looked punk rock. And like we were creating genres in real time back then. And it was a really exciting time. I 1000% agree with you. I just think that no matter what genre you look at, look, I'm an 80s guy. I love 80s hair metal. I love 80s pop. Hell I love yeah. 80s new wave. I love 80s hip hop. Like, I love it all. It's yep. just really weird. And 80s movies, by the way. Correct. It's just, it's, to me, it was yep. like every single genre was of music was just the best at, that it could possibly be. I, I also think because we were talking about technology and the advent of the internet. I think the eighties and for me, cause I'm, I, I was born in 83. So I'm really more of a nineties kid. I was a young kid in the eighties, more of a kid in adolescent through the nineties, early two thousands. And I think for me, what I, what I found so special about the eighties through, we'll say like the mid two thousands is that it was a perfect, blend of technology you had just enough technology to live comfortably where everyone had air conditioning everyone had a landline at their house you could get a hold of each other you know and then we had early internet like aol early email fax machine etc but it wasn't enough technology that things weren't still tangible and physical and real we still were selling physical product in the music industry for example and I just think that there, it was a perfect blend of enough technology to be productive and go chase your dreams and communicate efficiently with the world while still being analog enough to, to still be great. I just love it. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Um, another thing that I, I know about you is you, you, as a young person, lived in Texas. When did you move to Los Angeles with your family? So my parents are originally from Los Angeles. They had moved um, where my dad had finished high school. He ended up moving to Texas and my mom basically followed him. So they were married. And when I was born, it was Fort Worth, Texas. Lived there till I was 10 years old. So in the summer of 1988, we moved to Southern California and I moved to an area of town called Santa Clarita. And that's where I went to junior yeah. high and high school. And we still were in Santa Clarita okay. because that's where my grandparents were. My mom's parents were in Santa Clarita. So that's where we ended up. That's why the... Okay. So at this point, you've been in LA most of your life. Yeah. The majority of your life. Yeah. You consider LA home, right? Yes. What What has changed about that area? It's, it is such a strange and beautiful thing, Los Angeles. It is one of the most unique places on the planet. It is really... There's nothing quite like it. The the amount of like immigration and because it's it was once Mexico, you have a lot of Hispanic and Mexican influence. It's it's a hot, sunny place, but it's also gets kind of cold. There's there's so many different Californias, there's so many different LA. It's not just Hollywood and movie industry. What about it um, has changed and what do you think makes that region special? Gosh. That's a hard one to answer because I think that Los Angeles, for me, it is it is home. It's where, you know, in my opinion, home is where are you the most comfortable? Where are where is your family? Where are your friends? Right. So, you know, because obviously during the pandemic, I know plenty of people that have moved to Nashville. Right. Yeah. And people are always telling me, oh, you should move to Nashville. And I've been to Nashville. It's fine. But I think for most people, not not being from Santa Clarita 
or not not know, Santa Fe, but California, right? It's much different for me. California was a pit stop for many of those people that just get up and move. This is home for me. So it's much different for me just to pick up and move everything. I've been fortunate where I've lived other places, you know, obviously Fort Worth, Texas, Southern California, college in Boston, Massachusetts. I lived in London for a year in 2007. That was complete life-changing, amazing. And London was great, but I chose Los Angeles as my home. But it's not home. This is where my friends are. This is where my family is. I think Los Angeles, yes, we have amazing weather, even though it's changing. But as the entire globe climate is changing, but we have amazing weather. I think the food in Los Angeles is ridiculously amazing. You have so many. Oh, the best. So many different cultural foods and it's the best of any of them it's amazing uh even though everyone in the uk would argue they have the best indian food but we have some pretty damn good indian food here too so it's it's amazing i think that the one thing i've always loved about los angeles is because i'm in music it's a mecca artists come here so there's never been a shortage of artists playing here so and there's always been something to do you know, you go to other cities and there's just not a lot to do. People go out to eat. You go to a bar and go to a movie. And that's what else do you do? Right. Here in Los Angeles, I just feel it's so massive. It's so big. Just and the weather doesn't ever really. I mean, of course, there are times when it rains or it's too it, it, it does get cold. But really, the weather doesn't hinder you or stop you from going and doing something you really want to do. And no, just being such ever. a music freak like. I'm able to go to so many shows. It's amazing. Everybody comes here. That's right. I I think it's really tough. You said so I want to I want to revisit something you said. Being from California, I'm originally from there. Similar to you in Texas, I was a little kid in California. I was born in Orange County. I lived in the Orange County area. Um I I think we moved to Oregon when I was 11, 12, something like that. So still pretty young, but there's that foundational experience of being a kid in California. My whole family's from there. My dad used to work at Disneyland, et cetera, et cetera. And then just moving, you know, I'm still on the West Coast. So we're still on the West Coast of America. And I think being from California, being, especially you have spent so much time there. It's hard to explain to people that maybe haven't spent a lot of time there. Maybe they just visited for a couple of days. They went to Nam for three days and they left. That's not LA, for one. That's Anaheim. And secondly, it's it's so unlike any other place on the planet. Everything comes to that area. Every band swings through the LA area. Every, you know, musical, every museum is there. Every cultural moment has happened in LA. From hip hop and gangster rap and and there's so many regions. You know, like being in Santa Clarita, that's its own thing. All the neighborhoods within LA County, Long Beach, its there's just so much there that you go somewhere like Tennessee, where Nashville is located. Nashville's great. I love Nashville. It is so cool. But it's just Nashville. You get outside Nashville, now you're in Tennessee, boy. You're in the Southeast real quick. And it is the South. Don't get it twisted. You're in the South. And it's a good old boy country like that. And I experienced that last time we were in Tennessee. Had a great time in Nashville. Then we had to drive about four hours the other way to a place called Gatlinburg. I tell you, boy, it's the South. There are Confederate flags everywhere you look. It's hot and sticky. I mean, it's just, it's it's so not for me. Like, I'm such a West Coast snob. And um, yeah, I just, I, I I can only imagine being there as long as you have it it would almost feel impossible to be anywhere else at this point <laughs> well i think i have considered moving to other places where i i think i loved my experience of living in london it was life-changing for me yeah i love it too i love the uk love it my brother my sister-in-law my niece lived there you know it'd be amazing to be in the same city as them and to see my and to, to have that yeah closer relationship with my niece as she's growing up. I would love that, right? Some of my best friends in the world live in London. So London, I consider a second home and I've considered moving back there, but my parents are here and 
I am really close with my parents. I'm not leaving my parents. And yeah, some of my best friends in the world are here. And honestly, life in LA is good. Like, why am I going to leave it? Yes. And the industry that you work in. And the industry I work in is focused here. So, yes. Yeah. 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 Why do I need to leave that? That's tough. I mean, I, I, I think we've talked about this. I'm going to be back down there for all of September. And then at the top of the new year, my wife are moving down there. We're, we're making steps to do this. Did I tell you that? You didn't say you were moving 100%, but obviously I knew you were going to be spending more time here. Yeah. The goal is we're at the top of the new year and we're going to give it a year minimum and then just kind of reevaluate from there. But we're, we're giving it a shot. We're going to head down to California like everyone else does. Wow. It's just too hard to resist the amount of opportunity that has been presented to me down there. And you and I both work in the music industry. I mean, there's, there's really, it was funny. I was talking to Tim Bohr about this the other day, you know, cause they've known about it for a while, but like there's only three music towns. It's LA, Nashville, and sort of kind of New York city. <laughs> That's it. That's it. I mean, there is no other. Yes, you can, you're right. You can be a booking agent in London, you can do this from Denver or Portland, Oregon, where I live. You can do it and you can get far. But at some point, and this is what I know, I, I've done as much as I can over Zoom and phone calls for now. You know, I'm not saying that uh, one day I won't move somewhere else. But yeah, you if, if you're going to work in music industry or the movie industry, entertainment, you got to pay your dues in one of these towns, I think. Agreed. So with that said, let's pivot to something else. How how important is networking in what we do? <laughs> there is no other, gosh, how do I put this? Um, super important. I don't think you can be a successful executive in the music industry without networking, period. It is essential yeah. to what you do. Just your everyday job and it, it's essential. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, that's that's so good to to hear. I have yet to hear anyone answer otherwise for what it's worth. Um, but it is a good reminder because I fall into this category. I can be a lone wolf. As, as charismatic as I can be, and I'm a pretty outgoing person, I can also turn within and want to be an island of myself. And I think that's a mistake if you're if you're working in the arts, you're working in a creative industry. This is about people. And I think it's important to remember that if you want to get in the music industry on any level, booking agent, talent buyer, artist manager, working at a label, being an artist yourself, whatever the fuck it is, podcasting, it, I mean, you can open that scope to, to all of it. You have to network. And network, you know, Beck said something really great about this. The goal of networking isn't to like get something from someone. That's not why you do it. That's like a, a benefit of it. But in reality, you really just need to go to just hang just like you and I are friends. We're just, we're buds. And maybe something professionally will come from that. But if it does, it's going to be because we were friends. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Everything good in my life has come from the people I know at every single moment of my professional existence has come from those that I know. So I love that answer. Agreed. It's super important. Agreed. In in other topics, as we kind of wind this down and, and wrap up this tasty podcast with you, what are some other things you like doing? We, we covered Kiss. What are some of your favorite movies? Oh, gosh. I tend to watch a lot of the same movies over and over and over again. Me too. Which... Yeah, me too. Uh, hold on. Let me show you something. Yeah, okay. Breakfast Club. I think it's a good movie. I think it's obviously very reflective of that time. Um, just brings back a lot of nostalgia. But that wasn't a movie that I saw till I was later or till much later in my life. So that, oh, me neither, actually. That movie was 16 Candles. I feel much differently about than The Breakfast Club because I saw that when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my, okay. my favorite movie in the world, hands down, is I Love You, Man. Really? That's the one with Paul Rudd. Paul Rudd. Jason Siegel. Love that movie. Great, great movie. Underrated comedy. Phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal movie. <laughs> My favorite movie of all time. Yeah, that's that's it. Oh, I like that one. That is so funny. That's not what I thought you'd say. Yeah. <laughs> that's a that's a great choice for a movie, though. 
Let's see some of my favorite. I mean, um, Fight Club, obviously, that's the easy one. Um, Ferris Bueller's Day Off might be one of my favorite movies ever made. Uh, Ferris Bueller is my hero. He's who I want to be when I grow up. No one's cooler than Ferris Bueller. He's the funniest and coolest and most charismatic. Um, I have I have actually done deep dives on him. I did an entire podcast with someone about this movie and how deep my love for this movie goes. It is way deeper of a movie than people think. Um, yeah, man, I, I love Scorsese movies. Wolf of Wall Street, Goodfellas. Goodfellas is like the funniest movie ever made. It's so fucking good. Just from beginning to end, it's a flawless movie. I've never seen it. No, really? Never seen it. And to be honest with you, Woo! I have never seen Ferris Bueller's Day Off in its entirety. Dude, we got to change that, <laughs> brother. <laughs> I watch oh, the stupid so movies, but like movies that I'm still very old school. I still have cable television. And, you know, if I'm sitting there and I'm just scrolling through the TV guide on the screen, like yeah. the Fatal Attraction is on. I turn it on. Why do I like Fatal Attraction so much? I have no idea. <laughs> you just do. <laughs> it's a great movie. I know. Um, it's a great movie. Yeah, it's a fun one. Yeah, and I have those other movies that I do watch if they happen to be on TV. So I don't know, but I love you, man. Hands down, my favorite movie of all time. That's that's a deep pick. That's amazing. Okay, well, one question I ask everyone at the end of the show, Randy, is sort of the state of the union. Like, what is your what is your assessment of where we are in the music industry? Obviously, we're all hopeful. I don't think you'd be doing this if you're super pessimistic and you didn't think there was an industry to be had. But are you? Do you feel like we're heading in the right place? Do you think we need to revise a few things? If so, what? Like, just generally, what what are your thoughts? So, I think the industry is a bit at a crossroads. Honestly, I think that the pandemic really even the playing field right and i think that everybody was there was very much this thinking that everybody should be nice to each other let's all help each other out you know even if your competitors were all in this together let's lobby you know let's lobby the government let's do all these things which i think was an amazing amazing thing that came out of the pandemic um i think that i would love to see that continue i would love to see that camaraderie continue me too um I think the way music is consumed and how many new artists there are, it's an amazing time for an artist, right? Because there are so many different avenues and your music can be heard so much easier. But I think it's also harder to distinguish yourself from the rest. So I Mm -hmm. think artists need to really figure out who they are and really distinguish themselves on who they want to be. But at the same time, be genuine about it because people can see when you're not. Mm. So I think it's important that artists do that. I think consumer consumer behavior is changing. I do see that everything in the world costs more. So people have less money. People are being choosy about which shows they want to go see. I think it's important that us as an industry, as agents, we need to provide that value for people. We need to be sure that what we are putting out there is our shows that people want to see. And I think that that's going to be very important. I think that it's getting, it's look, our business is challenging. The live music business is challenging, but it's so rewarding when it's done right. Right. When you go to a concert, that connection, you can, that you remember when you were a kid, when you were going to see your first concerts and it still happens to me. That's one thing that I can say about me is that I am still, after having been in this business so long, I am still a music fan. And I go see a ton of shows for artists that I do not work with because I still want to see that artist and I still want to have that experience with that artist. So Mm -hmm. I don't think that that experience is going away anytime soon, but I do think that artists, there are just more artists, so it's harder to dis- to distinguish. Yeah. Th- there's just more of it, right? And so I think that's what's challenging is there's just more artists in general. So there's just more artists touring. And yeah. it's just busier than it's ever been, which that's a challenge mm-hmm. in itself. 
but it's also a great thing because it's we're finding that there are so many more artists that are connecting with people which is amazing so you know i do think that there is a big part of this industry which is older which 10 years from now how many of these artists are going to still be touring i don't know yeah i um well a few things on what you said first of all i think the live music corner of our industry in some ways seems like it's the best it's ever been post pandemic because people want real visceral experiences it's what's so exciting about live music if there were a i don't know if it's a cycle or you can just do a timeline of a an artist's journey there's hey let's form a band and then let's write some songs and then let's go document those ideas that's the record that's the part i'm involved in and then there's the touring and that's the part you're involved in that's sort of at the end of it but it's the arguably the thing that most of us remember the most i remember going to shows the, the most you know it's the thing that hits you over the face the quickest and i don't think it's ever going away my involvement the record and the production needs some love and it needs some attention right now because we used to have a physical product it was obviously vinyl and then you know adat and cassette and then cd and now we're in the streaming world what i would love to see you made a comment about the the unification and camaraderie of the industry during the pandemic and how beautiful that was to see you know I don't know if you saw Snoop Dogg's rant the other day. He he was commenting on streaming and how fucking bogus it is. Like he was just talking very candidly at like a normal human, not an expert in the music industry. Cause he's an artist. He's not behind the, the scenes guy. He's an artist. And he's like, I don't know. It just doesn't make any sense. Like, how does this make sense? If a if an artist gets millions a million streams on Spotify. Why don't? I, why am I not a millionaire? How does that? I don't get why I don't at least get one dollar per stream. You know, he was just doing the math, and he has a point. It's very vague. It's very cryptic. These streaming services don't really give you all the data. the The breakdown of how much an artist gets is completely confusing intentionally, and it's clearly not enough. What I would like to see is similar to the writers and the actors union strike going on right now. I wish the fucking music industry had some, an organization of some kind. Yeah. There's the musicians union. No one's a part of that. There's seven people that are part of that union. We, we need to have some leadership in this goddamn industry where we all come together and we go enough is enough. Spotify and tie all, all the streaming services they need to they need to do better by the artist because this is a real industry with a real product that real humans are creating and we can do better so that's kind of how i feel i agree i'm so inspired by it there's less gatekeepers than ever to your point there's more artists and more there's really more opportunity than there's ever been you you don't need anything you can just start a band if you have you don't even need a fucking studio anymore Get a laptop and a couple microphones, you make a record. You don't even need a booking agent. You can get on the internet and book your own tour. But because of that, it's less... The gatekeeping did made it a bit of um, like winning the lottery. You know, in the, in the 90s, all these bands that were getting signed and, and becoming really huge, those days are over. It, it happens every once in a while, but most of the time... You're going to have to do this on your own in your own little world for a long time before anyone ever hears you. So in, in that way, I'm very excited. There's more music. There's more producers. There's more companies like my, my own that have a chance to go compete and be involved. But as an industry, I think, yeah, I would like to see some, some unifying for sure. I agree. I do think that back in the day, you know, it was gatekeeping but that we knew we didn't know anything else. I think now it's, you didn't have a choice. What's cool about now is that it is, it's everyday people. It's everyday people that are actually the gatekeepers. They're the ones that are the ones streaming music and telling the industry what they like, which is a very cool thing. Can you imagine if artists, all of the artists that were on Spotify and all these streaming services, if one day 
they had, they had a union and they all just said, we're not going to upload. We're just not going to upload until you give us a better deal. That's all it would take. Yeah. That's all it would take. If they just stopped every, every artist, especially the big artists, they're just like, no, we have a record. We're ready to put it out. We're just not going to put it out until you, you really explain to us how this makes sense for us. Cause it doesn't right now. Agreed. Maybe one day. Yes. But you know, that that's what we do. That's what we do as an industry. It's, it's constantly changing. You know, when, when Napster came around, everyone, everyone, I have you, have you seen the, the documentary, the defiant ones with Jimmy Iovine? I have amazing. Yes. Yeah. It's one of my favorite things ever. Yes. Well, there's that, that moment where he starts calling everyone he knows. He's like, this is a problem. (laughs) This is a problem. I don't want to be the, the, the label label executive that watches the music industry go down. This sucks. We need to figure this out. And he had a point. And if we had done something at that time, it would have been a lot better today. But even though there was cause for concern, we're okay. We're doing great. People are still making money. People are still, this is still a real industry. So I I have faith that we'll get through every moment. Um, And also this is a, it's, it's hard to imagine this, but it is a brand new industry. It hasn't been around that long in the great scheme of things. It really hasn't, which is crazy to think, but it is true. I mean, even if you're being gracious, like when was the first recorded music? The early teens or something, (laughs) something like that, the 20s. But it wasn't, no one was touring. (laughs) No, no, the, the first real bands to go on the road was like the Beatles and shit. And create the model of being in a rock band and like now we have a record and then media talks about it and, and we tour and earliest ones. So that we all know of that, about, right? The earliest ones that we know about. Sure. But either way, it is a 20th century. It's not, it's not like, you know, I don't know. It's not, it's not the farming industry or, or whatever. Some industry that's been around forever, textile or something that we have hundreds of years to look back on and, and learn from. This is not that old of a thing, especially the way we do it now. Yeah. So I, I'm I'm very hopeful. I think I think there's more opportunity now than ever, and that's that's why we're all here. Yeah. No, look, I chose this business because I have a passion for music, and I still have that passion for music. Me too. Me too. Yeah. And that's that will always be my driving force. And look, that's why the pandemic was very difficult. For so many people, but for us in the music industry and for people that like to go to shows, I realized very quickly, oh, wow, if I don't go to shows, what do I do? Right. I always knew shows were a big part of my life, but they were always the reason you got together with people. Let's go to dinner before the show. Let's grab a drink after the show. Everything revolved around the show. And if you don't have that show anymore, when are you seeing someone? Right. Right. It's just, it, right. but also too, it was obviously there were other reasons we weren't seeing people, but you know, you could still see people in your bubble, but still it was, I just, it was just, yeah, it was awful. No live music. Awful. I was awful. No. And, and it probably felt pretty scary as a professional, you know, being a booking agent is your career. Of course. That, that must've been just wild. Oddly enough, it's when stateside really started to take off <laughs> during the pandemic. No one else was touring. So every band on the planet wanted to make music. They wanted to record and have their music mixed. So my producers were busier than they had ever been during that time. And that was wild to witness. We were the only corner of the industry that was really taking off. Um, but, you know, I have different challenges. We're, we're facing technology outdating some of what production does, right? I mean, since, since recording studios have been a thing, that has dwindled down over time into more of a, just the way everything is where everyone can kind of do everything. Every, every fucking kid I talk to in a band is a producer. Now they all think they are right. doesn't mean they are, but they, they have some capability to document their ideas. Whereas in the past you needed a recording studio with the the soundboard and the tape machine. You needed professional people who had that skill set and all the equipment that you just didn't have access to. Um, so th- those are the challenges for us. COVID can't take that away from, from my corner of the industry, 
but technology can't. And so we have to grow with it. AI. AI. AI is a, is a real, it's a real thing for sure. But I have to, you know, the, the, the truth is, as a producer manager, I've always loved record producers. They're, they're, they've always been fascinating to me. I've always been obsessed with them. I'm not a good one myself, but I, I, that's why I manage them <laughs> to be honest. And I, and I think they, they're artists and stars there uh, as their own. And I think that is what is going to be the, the balance to things like AI. As we go further into technology advancing, I think artists are going to want to work with other artists. They're going to want to work with humans and want that input, that, that, that objective person pushing them to capture their best performance, to work on those lyrics, to do that best drum take. And AIs can't do that for you. It can do it in automation and it can do it in that, in that kind of demo from your bedroom kind of way. But no, Billie Eilish is still going to want to work with a human being. So I, I, I'm rest assured in, in that capacity. But it is, it is scary. It is scary to me. It is, um, it, it's not even about how is it going to affect creative industries, right? As the writers oh, yeah. and actors are dealing with them. That's one of the reasons they're striking. Yeah. How is the military and government using AI? Nobody's really talking about that. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. I mean, even if we just, so we don't get off the music thing for a second, I have heard a booking agent that you and I both know, I'll leave their name out of it, tell me that an AI uh, tool can route a tour like that. And I asked that person, doesn't that negate your job? (laughs) Doesn't that make it so your job isn't a thing anymore? And he goes, no, no, because the AI tool still now and probably hopefully forever will need my input as an expert in my field. It'll still need me to say, book these markets, the, the, the radio markets speak well and in, in whatever you guys do, your job is very confusing to me, but it'll still need that expert agent mindset to plug into that tool set. So I agree with that. You know, there's too many there's too many facets in booking tours and why you do the things that you do that AI right. doesn't know, but that doesn't mean they won't be able to figure it out. Well, that's the thing is I think some, and again, it's all just, it's like the internet. I think it's gonna, it's gonna automate some things and some part of your job and my job, but you, in your, in your day-to-day job, Randy, you are a human being and you have to talk to other human beings. That is such an imperative part of negotiating people's rates and, you know, those sort of dinamics. You have to stay close to the artist manager and so and so is a dickhead. So you got to keep that in mind. And like, I guess AI could learn that, but it's it's just not. You can't you can't replicate the the human condition. Agreed. Yet I hope. Oh my god. <laughs> oh, that's terrifying. Well, you know, I'll see you on the other side in the apocalypse when we're fighting robots. Right. Like Terminator Two. No, that's exactly what I think of the Skynet and Terminator. Like this could actually really happen. Oh yeah, man. I just hope when the nuclear war is launched that the bomb that hits Los Angeles lands on my head. Uh, I don't want to be around for it. <laughs> no, no, I, I'm with you, man. People always talk about that, like preppers. They're like preparing for the end of the world and how to live in the apocalypse. I'm like, I want nothing to do with it. I just want to die. I don't want to be running around in the zombie apocalypse. I just want to be not here. Thank you very much. Hey, the pandemic was real enough for me. Yeah, that's as much as I got. The day that I couldn't walk into Starbucks to get my green tea, that was the day it became real for me. <laughs> oh, dude, I am such a pansy. Uh, I, I have no interest in camping anymore. Yeah, yeah. Just running around Tennessee was enough for me. Like, I, I need to live in a city with Starbucks. I, I'm with you. <laughs> well, dude, uh, let's let these people go. You have been a fantastic guest. I appreciate your time. Um, where can people find you, Randy? If you want people to find you. Dun, dun, dun. Well, I'm an agent at Sound Talent Group. Uh, my email is randy at soundtalentgroup.com. Pretty basic. Yeah, that's the best way to find me. Hell yeah.
Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you'd cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effing Perspective don't have to wonder, because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. <laughs>